Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Today we'll be continuing our series, Transforming. We hope you enjoy. This morning we're going to begin in Galatians 2.20, but before we do, let me set the stage. As you know, I got halfway through my sermon last week and, um, and just didn't get through it. That's all. So uh, we're going to take the second half of that this week. Uh, but I want to set the stage for it this way. Uh, if you can imagine sailing, and you as a sailor say, I'm going to put up the sails, and I'm going to catch the wind. And maybe something like, what about Bob? We're sailing. We just picked it up today, right? Um, well, if you've done any sailing, you know that it's not only sheeting in the sails, that there's something else, several things that you need to do. But one of them is if you have no rudder, you are just going to be blown all over the place. You are a victim of the wind. And oftentimes I meet Christians. I say, so what are you doing? And they say, oh, I'm just putting up my sails. I just want to be filled with Jesus, filled with his love. I just want to be that guy, you know. And I say, well, so where are you headed? What are you doing? And they say, just want to put up my sails. And I love that spontaneity. I love it, you know. And, and there's a place for spontaneity. If someone calls me on a Friday night and I'm not doing anything and, and says, hey, you doing anything? I say, no. I say, let's have fun. Let's do something, you know. I love that kind of spontaneity. Or if Jesus taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, go help that person. I want to be spontaneous in that regard. But over the long haul, you and I have to have a direction. We live in a world that wants to direct you. It wants to influence you, and every one of us will be influenced by someone or by something. We are porous people. Humans are porous. So we are influenced by the things around us. And anybody who says, I'm influenced by nobody, I am an island, they're already influenced. <laughs> right? So your parents socialize you, your friends, junior high, high school, they socialize you. Your school teachers, they socialize you. Uh, media socializes you. Your political parties socialize you. Uh, it goes on and on and on and on. And we think, I'm my own person. So if you are porous and you're taking in all of this, what do you do? Well, the only way to combat that is for you to decide what you are going to absorb. Who or what are you going to be filled with? You're the sponge. You decide. And so the spiritual disciplines help you and I have a rudder to decide where we're going, what we're doing, and I'll talk about all of those spiritual disciplines in a moment. Jesus practiced them. Prayer, solitude, scripture, fasting, simplicity, giving, serving, mission. He practiced all of these, and they were disciplines in his life. As Yes, he was the son of God, uh, but he was equally human, God-man. And so he models something for us 
that we need to learn. That will be the second half of the message. The first half of the message is Jesus also modeled for us what it is to be human. And I'm gonna talk about that first. It's gonna be the more fun part of the message. Something perhaps you've never heard taught in a church. How to be fully human, not just how to pray and study the Bible, but how to be human in a neighborhood party. How to be human at work. How to be human on the tennis court. Because that's part of what's missing sometimes in our Christianity. When I was growing up, I uh, actually had several Christians approach me. Uh, Those of you that know me, I didn't surrender my life till I was 18. But I knew many Christians in high school, and um, I just thought that they were baptized in lemon juice. Uh, they, They lived rather narrow, unfun lives, you know, I didn't, and uh, I visited their churches a couple of times, and they seemed to be kind of a little bit weird to me. Uh, well, I didn't understand why the minister changed his voice when he got on the stage. I didn't know, you know, who the bouncers were that are handing out menus. <laughs> uh, I, I, I didn't know why we sang songs that were so weird. That, that, you know, I didn't understand a lot of it, but I particularly didn't understand why they didn't have fun. Uh, why they, and so it raises the question, uh, did Jesus ever have fun, right? So let me read to you a few verses, and we'll get into this idea of, of your salvation entering all your humanity. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Great exchange, right, our salvation, and the life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. I have never heard a pastor emphasize the prepositional phrase, in the body. The life I now live in the body, in the body. Um, Romans 12.1, in view of God's mercy, Offer your bodies as living sacrifice. I taught on that. 86 times in the New Testament, Paul talks about the body. I rarely hear a pastor ever preach about the body. It's always about the soul, it's about the spirit, it's about the heart, and we get that. I absolutely get that, and that is critical, but there is no spirituality outside of your body. You are a body person. So let me just give you some points, and then I'll go into uh, the more fun part of the message. Um, So Paul was well aware of the fact that our new life is to be lived out not only in our hearts, but our bodies. So we offer our bodies to God. You have never met a bodiless human. You have never met a bodiless human. And when we die, we do not become angels. You will always be human. Did you know that? It's, I am amazed, the audiences, that I that talk, that everyone looks like, you're kidding. 
you're absolutely, like, where have you been? You were created fully human. Uh, you, the sin, the fall, we call it, affected all of our humanity, and your salvation affects all of your humanity, right? So transforming, as we're calling it, and as Paul calls it, it means having our full humanity, body, soul, and spirit redeemed into the image of God. Sadly, something happened in the West, Western Christianity, that would include us. As the gospel went from Jerusalem West, it took on, I said that we're porous, it took on some of the philosophy of Greece that now uh, Rome had adopted. And Plato and other philosophers wrote about the fact that your spirit is primary and your body is secondary or evil, bad. So the body was, was looked at in this kind of mindset as not being the best, but your heart, the spirit part, that's amazing. It sounds right and good at first, right? Until you think about how you live. We end up compartmentalizing. Like if I'm about to enjoy some Halloween candy, I say, Jesus, excuse me, but do you mind looking the other way? I'm about to have some fun. And if you're with your spouse in your bedroom, you say, Jesus, would you mind looking the other way? If I am about to laugh and have a good time at a ball game, Jesus, do you mind? We're going to go to a ball game. And I would dare say, I'm not meaning to meddle in your life, that Jesus doesn't enter certain parts of your life because you just don't know how does Jesus... So you end up being what's called a dualist, that Jesus is in your heart and your spirit, but not in the things of your body. And every person is a bodily person. So there's a huge part of us that we just don't know how Jesus, 40 hours a week at work, Jesus doesn't. Hour a day on the freeway, Jesus doesn't. Uh, it, It just goes on and on and on so that this full humanity that Jesus wants to give us ends up not being there. So we are bio-psycho-socio-spiritual people. And you always will be, even in your new body that you receive. And Jesus has come to redeem that. And the body and the Bible assumes that you will incorporate into your body, your new faith. That's why I read to you Galatians. Let me show it on the screen again. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me, new life, the life I now live in the body. So Jesus wants to be in our bodily life. And I believe adding the disciplines to our life will cause us to live optimally the way God wants us to live. There was, there was a group, you there? Okay, there was a group 
that began, there's inklings of it in the book of Colossians and other parts of the New Testament where Paul's combating it, but it becomes full-blown full blown in the second century, in the third century, called Gnosticism. You've heard about that, and there's just so many parts to it, no time to go into, but the part that relates to this is Gnosticism believed body bad, spirit good. Sounds a little bit like Dana Carvey, right? Body bad, spirit good. And, and it still exists today. It still exists. And this is how it played out in Gnosticism, two different ways. Uh, there were some people that would say, you know, anything that has to do with enjoyment, like play, like dance, like music, like eating, like fun, like weddings, uh, stay away from those, right? Or it played out this way. Well, because it's the body, it doesn't really count for anything, so just do whatever you want. Because it's just the body. It's not really sin. It's just the body. It doesn't affect your heart. Just the body. So you can see it went in two different directions. But I believe what we do spiritually is done physically. Think about that. You can put that on the screen, my friend. I think it's the, uh, yeah, the, keep going. Keep going. There it is. What is done spiritually is done physically. So now you begin to think of all the bedrooms and closets and bathrooms in your, in your heart and life and how you live. What if Jesus wanted to be a part of all of it? What would it look like? So first, the fun side of it, okay? And I want to read to you the humanizing, rehumanizing necessities. First of all, Mark chapter 4, verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we drown? And we all know Jesus got up, and he said to be quiet to the winds and the waves, and they all said, Whoa, who is this guy? But did you notice the first part of the verse? Jesus was asleep on a cushion. Jesus slept. Jesus slept? Isn't that a waste of time? I mean, if you're, if you're holy, you wouldn't you do something with your time better than sleeping? I'm frustrated, the fact that I waste one-third of my life sleeping. Has that ever bothered you? When I was in college, I tried to overcome that. I, I decided, you know, I'm going to sleep less and less and less, and I am not going to be that guy that wastes one-third of my life. And I got it down to about four and a half hours. And, and I just couldn't win. I needed sleep. Sleep is human. It's okay to go unconscious for eight hours a day. That's the way, and that's godly. All right? Here's another one. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. We love this because he's eating with imperfect people. 
And there's telling me that there's a chance for me because Jesus eats with imperfect people. But did you notice? Jesus ate. What a waste of time. You know, maybe three hours a day eating, talking, being with people. How human. Here's a third one. Maybe the most provocative. On the third day of a wedding that that took place in Cana in Galilee, Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And now we know how this turned out. This was the very first miracle he performed, which was turning not only the water into wine, and by the way, this fountain out here is symbolic of that. You never knew what the symbolism of the six pots are, only these are tiny. The pots were 30 gallons, the Bible says. So you can imagine these 30-gallon plastic trash cans that we have, um, that, that he converts all of that to wine. And most upsetting is that it was the best of wine which in our culture means the most expensive. (laughs) And we know that it was symbolic of the joy and, and the celebration that the Messiah was bringing, that if you give your heart and life, he comes and he brings celebration to your life. He brings new life, symbolic of the wine. But it also means that Jesus was at a wedding. And these weddings sometimes went on for seven days. What did he do? Well, certainly Jesus did not enjoy himself because that would be ungodly for him to enjoy himself at a wedding. No, if you have been to a a Semitic wedding, a Middle Eastern wedding, oh my gosh, you better eat. Uh, You better laugh. And much to the chagrin of those of us, including me, with a Baptist background, perhaps danced. Only line dancing. (laughs) You know, and please, I'm just, I'm playing with us, so please take no offense. You know, I I would agree with you. There's, There's extremes at all things, that we have to be careful of erotic dancing. We have to be careful of people abusing wine. We have to be careful of people. This is something that church never cares about, concerned about gluttony. or spending too much money on clothes or whatever. I always joke with people, there's more demons in the mall than there are wherever else we think they are. (laughs) Here's my big point. Jesus not only came to model for us how to be with the Father in this new life, but he also lived fully as a human being. So I love this picture, did Jesus ever laugh? Well, most of us would say, yeah, maybe. Did he laugh often? When uh, uh, a film came out on Jesus of Nazareth, I think that's actually what the name of it was maybe 30, 40 years ago, it caused me to think about Jesus because in the movie, he looked like he was a zombie. (laughs) He was always glaring like he was in a trance. Someone would say, Jesus, and he would turn. 
as if he's looking right through the person. He says, yeah, verily. <laughs> and, and what that did for us is to say, whoever this guy is, we can never be like him. Because, listen, because I'm human. And Jesus is not human. That is heresy. Jesus is the Son of God, but what we celebrate at Christmas is he climbed into humanity, and he didn't just wear a fake skin. He was a full human. That helps me to breathe and realize he wants to move into all areas of life with me. And uh, so... As a human, I've discovered that I need exercise. I just live better. You know, when I start holding life too tight, my wife might say to me, Mark, don't you think you need to paddle out? And She encourages me to surf. How cool is that? <laughs> but I live better as a human if I exercise. It takes time to groom. What a waste of time. Did Jesus ever groom? Play and laughter, that it's part of being a human. People who know God, people who don't know God, all over the world, play and laugh. Is that a part of your theology? Rest and recreating. I spelled it that way so that you would get the emphasis. When we recreate, the meaning of the word is we recreate. We find something in ourselves that was being lost by the muchness and the manyness and the intensity and the RPMs of life that make me feel so important. And I'm so important if I'm working 60, 70, 80 hours a week and my boss is loving it because I, and then once I burn out, he throws me away and he says, we'll find another one will burn out for the company. We don't applaud people that say, hey, 40 hours, I'm done. <laughs> we applaud people that give their soul to the company store. <laughs> Being with good friends, that's a good thing. There are people that give you, to use a modern Vernacular that give you energy. When you go away from being with them, I said, I feel good. That was like great. Uh, and then there's other people you're with that you just think, wow, that was a lot of work. <laughs> so whatever that is, you're always going to be around people that are a lot of work, but you need to be around with people also that help you get filled up. It's usually people that accept you for who you are and don't try to fix you or correct you. Uh, healthy distractions, like a hobby, like sport. It's not a waste of time. Yeah, there's obsessions. There always will be. Music, dance. You know, music is universal. That's why sport ministry works so well. It's universal. But also, there's a other few things that are universal. Business is universal. That's why our bottom line ministry is just taken off. Uh, music is universal. 
Did you know dancing is universal? I know some of you think it came with the fall. <laughs> but it's okay. Like, you know, if you're hearing music and you start tapping your foot, like, and then you just say, stop it. You're just being human. It's not, you haven't violated some uh, heavenly law. Uh, Contentment and simplicity. And here we get into maybe something you might call a discipline. But the idea that it's okay to be content. Like if, if you said, you know what? I don't need a bigger house. I'm good. Hey, I don't need a bigger car, faster car, a most, most amazing car. I, I'm good. I don't need a watch that mows my lawn. I'm good. <laughs> and finally, some of us feel bad because we have rituals and routines in our life. I'm sorry, it's Saturday morning. Saturday morning, I always do this. I'm sorry, I need to be in bed at this time. I'm sorry. That, do you know that not only humans live by routines, but animals do? It's just, it's part of your humanity. It's okay to have a rhythm in your life. It's okay, and finally, to read a good book, sit at a bonfire, watch a movie. To just, can we all just take a deep breath? Ah, and say to yourself, I will only be human. You will never be Superman. You will never be an angel. But you will be the image of God as a human. So years ago, when Jan and I lived on the East Coast, we, uh, I did this wedding. Uh, it was, it's a, you know, the movie, my big fat uh, Greek wedding, you know, that uh, it, was a, it was a Greek wedding. And we did a lot of different weddings. We did Irish weddings, we did Italian weddings, we did various ethnic weddings on the East Coast. And um, so this was a Greek wedding. And at the wedding were all, as I would say, is 60% Greek, which usually had Orthodox, Greek Orthodox background, but about 40% were Catholic either Irish or Italian Catholics. And so they came to the wedding, and there I was in my black suit performing the wedding. And after the wedding, the, the couple wanted Jan and I to stand in the receiving line with Mr. and Mrs. And I thought, well, that's unusual, but sure. And so you know how they announce at the reception and presenting playing linebacker, winging, and they come onto the dance floor, you know. Here I come out as the pastor, presenting Reverend so-and-so. And so we're in the receiving line, and the people come through welcoming, congratulating, and they come to me, and they say, uh, that was wonderful message, Father. <laughs> and, you know, for Orthodox, it's very normal for the father to have a wife, but for the Catholics, is not normal. And I would turn to my wife, and I said, oh, thank you so much. And here's my wife, Jan. <laughs> of course, that was awkward. <laughs> but here's what spoke to me. When the party got going, there's all this celebration, and I was sitting there just like a very holy man. 
you know, I don't do any of that. I don't do any of that. I don't do any of that because I'm so holy. <laughs> but there was one thing that was really obvious. They were having fun, and I was not. And then came the moment where they pick up the mother of the bride, they put her on a chair, and four buff guys pick up the legs of the chair, hoist her into the, the air, and start dancing around with her on the chair. And I don't know if she wore, was 250 or 350 pounds, but she was, the, the first guys could not do it. So they had to go <laughs> round up some more guys to do this. And as I looked at her, she was having fun, and I was not. And I was asking myself, well, why, if Jesus has penetrated my humanity, why do I not know how to have fun? And it was because of all my models from, you know, uh, you know, Saint so-and-so and Saint so-and-so and Saint so-and-so were all these ascetics that were just living austere lives, and that's what I thought it was to be a follower of Jesus as opposed to letting Jesus enter into all of my humanity at a game, at a meeting, at business, and at a wedding. So I'm hoping that that stretches you to say, Jesus, come into all of my life and redeem my humanity. Now, in our closing moments, I want to talk about seasons of seeking and grace. In Matthew 14, 13, we read, but Jesus withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Here we come back to the issue of direction again. Jesus understood that there were periods of time where life was closing in on him. Society wanted so much from him that he had to withdraw to regroup and get direction and also to, re to recharge. And I think the same is true of us, that we go through seasons. Sometimes it's you're moving from this city to this city. Sometimes you're changing jobs. Sometimes somebody's sick in the family. There's a loss that we prayed for earlier. There's grief. There's direction. Or just some refreshment. You need refreshment. Or recentering your life. That it's okay to go into a season where you decide, this is a time where I need to get some redirection. And so here's some suggestions. One is solitude for you to just decide, hey, what if this week I just take an hour a day, just get alone? It's going to be a walk on the beach. It's going to be sitting on a park. It's going to be visiting the water closet and shutting the door from the kids, whatever it is, to just say, I, I'm just going to practice solitude. Uh, fasting. Fasting is an ancient discipline that the church has practiced for 2,000 years. It doesn't achieve merit before God, but it does work like leverage in your body to give you intensity in your prayer life. You take, instead of your lunch hour to eat, you say, you know what? I'm going to use this lunch hour to pray. Get alone. And when I, you feel that your stomach growling at you because it's saying, have you lost your mind? 
don't you know, and it's just kind of growling at you, you, you reinterpret that to be hunger for God. Say, God, even as my stomach is reminding me of hunger, I just want to tell you I'm hunger. I'm hungry for more of you. Scripture. Sometimes there's times that we need for more than just a quick little fix from Scripture that I need to spend some time reading it and studying it. Maybe it's a particular issue that you're, you're looking at. Maybe it's a particular passage, or maybe there's a book related to that that you say, yeah, I'm gonna read this book because this is something that God's doing in my life. Missions. Missions has done more for me than any other discipline other than prayer and the study of Scripture. It, it causes me to look at my life from outside of my life I, I go to a different culture, and, and, I, and I see whether it's the poverty or the needs or a different way of living, that it, it causes you to make course changes in your own life. Giving, deciding that I'm gonna give, and I'm, maybe it means I have to live simpler in, in some area, but I'm gonna give, not because I ought to or because the church says give 10%, but because this is a part of me. I was, I was sharing with someone recently. I said, you know what? Oftentimes we're looking for the, the hand of God. If we look straight at it, we don't see it. But if we give or serve someone else, whatever we're looking for as the answer appears out of the corner of our eye like a leprechaun. Oftentimes, you don't see what you're wanting when you look straight at it, but you look at somebody else and their need, bam, there it is. Mentioned serving, mentoring, or some people call it spiritual direction. It's good to, maybe you need to find someone to kind of coach you through a, a season of life and just say, you know, I'm, I'm healing up here. I'm looking for direction. You seem to be a little bit farther on in the jungle. Can you be a coach for me? And then finally, I call this inhaling grace, and it's because in every audience, there's someone, when you hear this list of things, that you're already so deep in the mud that you can't do any of them. It's usually you're going through a crisis in your own life, whether it's a brokenness and sin that's just engulfed you, whether it's uh, something joyful, like having a baby and the baby blowing up your schedule in your whole life, and or it's, uh, uh, it's any number of things in our lives where uh, a sickness in your own life Seasons of grace is where I need friends around me to pray for me because I can't pray for myself. I've been there. I'm just surviving. Can you pray for me? And these are just seasons of grace that we just have to give everybody space. Say, how are you doing here? Did you do this? Did you do this? Do this? And they'll yell back at you, no, I can't do it. But in seasons of grace or times of war as I call them, uh, <laughs> you just do what you can do. I didn't think this existed until <clears throat> at the age of 25, we had our firstborn, John. And I was this, you know, I took my running discipline, long distance runner, and I transferred it into my Christianity. I was disciplined. I always had my 
prayer time, my, my Bible time. No one interrupted this time. My clock went off at this, 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 this. And then John was born. <laughs> Just blew up my life. And he says, I don't care what your sleep time is. This is feeding time. So one night, I'm taking my turn. It's 2 a.m. in the morning, and I'm, I've got the bottle in John's mouth, and I'm just rocking him, thinking, okay, I'm going to put him back to sleep and get back to this sleep thing so I can get up and be disciplined and everything else. And with his tongue, he pushed the nipple of the bottle out of his mouth, and he gave me this big grin as if to say, let's party. Like, Dad, are you feeling it? Like, just you, me. So for the next hour and a half, what am I going to do? And I just needed people around me, as even more Jan did in that period. You just, because you just, you're human. And all you can do is what you can do. So even in the disciplines, there's times where we just need to inhale grace. Well, the whole point of this message is to for you to embrace your full humanity and to stay on course so that you become the full you. All you have ever had to be is the person God created you to be. And you can do that. But you have to grab a hold of the rudder. You have to decide, okay, am I just going to drift through life, spontaneity wins, or am I going to decide... Where am I going? Lewis Carroll in Alice in Wonderland, he writes a dialogue between Alice and the Cheshire Cat. And you know, he says, through Alice, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? And the Cheshire Cat says, well, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. Alice says, I don't much care where. And the Cheshire Cat says, then it doesn't much matter which way you go. But true spirituality does count. Jesus, in his life, there was a point, you can read about it in Mark 1, 35, where he's off praying. The disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, you're off praying and the crowds want you. It's working. You're blowing up. You're a hit. Uh, They want you to heal them. They want you to speak to them. And Jesus says, come, we must go to another place. How did he know? Spiritual disciplines. He was praying and getting course direction. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you have come into our humanity and you want us to live it well. Jesus, we invite you to not only teach us the spiritual disciplines so that we can stay on course and maximize what you have called us to do and to be. But we pray, inviting you into what we have considered to be the more mundane or frivolous things of life, that you would enter our weddings, enter our sleep time, that you would enter our eating time, all of life, Lord, that as we are transforming, that we would become fully human. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. 
Amen. Would you stand with me? Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.